Hi and welcome to the Casted podcast here from IT University of Copenhagen. I'm your host, my name is Toro Husfeld, and here at Casted we try to think about and talk about foundational issues of information technology. So this, in particular, this includes questions of how information technology interacts with the outside world. And one topic that is close to my own heart is here, how does information technology interact with democracy? So digital democracy, digital society, these kinds of questions. In the previous episode, I talked to Vincent Hendricks about issues relating to the public sphere um, and how digital society, in particular digital media, transforms that. And today we turn to the other big ritual of democracy, namely elections. So my guest for this is one of the world's leading experts in e-voting technology and um, the theories behind that, Carsten Schumann. Carsten, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So, Carsten, you are, uh, you are an associate professor here at ITU. Your narrow research is in programming language theory, uh, logic, type theory, semantics, these kinds of things. So that's a mathematical discipline, I guess, or applied mathematics. So it's in the branch of theoretical computer science, much like I am, but where my research is about provably efficient computation, your research is about provably, provably correct computation. Yeah, I do these things that the Americans would refer to as Euro theory. Euro theory, yes. Oh. Euro theory, which means uh, I work with uh, logical systems, um, and trying to kind of uh, look in how to make safe systems, how to make secure systems, how to reason about their properties automatically so that we can kind of improve our, our infrastructure, our software and computer infrastructure with which we live. And it's a mathematical discipline rather than an empirical discipline or is that bleeding into each other already? It is. Uh, so I think uh, the, the logical part um, and the, the, the foundational part of my research is, uh, is, uh, is very mathematical. It's very mathematical. But uh, I've been always uh, interested in trying to apply those formal theories to the real world. And this is where the uh, work on elections comes. And yeah, this is exactly where we get to voting or elections. And we need to, I guess, become a bit smarter about using these terms. So I will at least in the beginning just confuse and see, uh, say, voting and e-voting and elections and democracy and just uh, mix it up. Uh, so maybe we learn a bit about that. So you're sort of in the, in the correct uh, position of reasoning about, about um, correctness or integrity or privacy of these IT systems. That's, uh, yeah, that's correct. Um, so in, when, you, when you look at the purely programming languages side, right, you always start with a specification of what your system is supposed to do. And uh, let's say we want to sort an array of numbers at the end. It should be sorted. That would be the specification of it. And we'd like to know in program verification if that actually does what it does. But it turns out that uh, in the real world, the specifications of our systems are much, much more complicated. As you just said yourself, um, how do we guarantee that an election system you know, gives us uh, privacy of the vote, and that uh, we can actually study and uh, be sure that the, the election had integrity, that it was fair. How do we specify those kind of things? These are extremely complicated and complex specifications. But so now, now you're making something artificially complicated, right? because voting is just basically increasing a counter by one. It seems, at least from where I'm standing, algorithmically, the simplest mathematical problem there is. You have a counter, it's at 15, somebody else 
goes in and votes for the, I don't know, a Green Party, and then the counter goes up to 16. Yes. So even I, with my restricted knowledge of logic, can specify that quite yes. precisely. And then I go to somebody like you who says, give me a high-level programming language that implements that, and that also spits out a proof that the counter was correctly updated. Yes. So that's, that's of course, correct. Um, not in all aspects, but, you know, the, the simplest election systems are just adding one to a counter. But this makes it also such a beautiful, beautiful problem to study. Because if we do not understand how we reason about the secrecy of a vote and guarantee at the same time the integrity of the election or the accountability of all of the systems, the transparency of that system, we cannot actually do this for anything which is much more complicated. This is precisely why elections is actually an extremely interesting topic to study. Algorithmically, these things are, tend to be much, much simpler than, let's say, uh, solving uh, differential equations or doing fast Fourier transforms or uh, things of that kind. But, but, we, uh, but we can do all these things, right? Yeah. Uh, IT systems today do amazing things uh, like Fourier transforms and, and in general we, we, can, we can put a man on the moon, we can edit the genome, I have the internet in my pocket today. We can do amazing things yeah. as a civilization. Why can't we, why can't we digitize this process, which is thousands of years old. So the, uh, I think what uh, the, the answer to this question has to do with that elections are somewhat special in the way how they, you want to guarantee the integrity and secrecy of information at the same time. Because overall, at the end, we would like to be convinced that we can trust the result of an election, but we are not allowed to see how other people voted. We basically give the responsibility for counting to a system. And how do we manage to trust such a system if, uh, you know, if, the, if these systems, these voting systems run on, 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 on platforms that are malware infected? So there is this, uh, this uh, trade-off between if you have a perfectly secret vote, it is very, very difficult to kind of check that the counting was correct. And uh, vice versa, if, you know, you um, would like to show that everything is, uh, is actually correct, you cannot afford anymore the secrecy of the vote. So there is a, there, there, on elections there are lots of requirements attached to it that you'd like, but they are somehow uh, opposite to each other. And kind of finding a, sol so a solution to this puzzle is what, uh, what actually research on elections is all about. And I believe that these kind of uh, um, solutions that you can find to this, as you said yourself, very simple um, counting up or incrementing a counter for the different candidates one, we can use this actually also for other things, not just elections, but we can kind of, uh, we, we could apply it to wherever secret data is um, actually involved and we need to kind of have a notion of accountability attached to okay. these things that actually treat and work with these. So this you're thing. saying that, that not only is it worth studying uh, e-voting or digital elections, but there are actually... Uh, Teflon pan-like um, uh, extra results yes. that apply to many other things that are interesting for, for digital society. Okay, yes. I, I buy that, even though it's, like, it's a bit of a sales pitch, and that would really... Yes. I, 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 I guess I agree, but, 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 but I, would, I would like us to, uh, to, to spend our time really understanding what makes elections special and different. And, yes. and you mentioned lots and lots of uh, terms like integrity and, um, and secrecy and trust... Uh, and I, I guess we need to unpack all of those to yes. really understand why this is why this is harder than 
a solved problem such as electronic banking. So electronic banking is also the question of increasing or actually in my case mostly decreasing various counters which is the balance on my account and there is a secrecy aspect as well in, in the sense that that uh, if I make a withdrawal on my bank account I would like I won't I, I don't want you to see it. So, so I would like to kind of uh, touch this topic from a slightly different angle and more from an, an angle on how we actually have done elections in the past and how does our democracy work in general. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, our societies, we have many, many people in there and there are few that are governing the, the majority of the people. Mm -hmm. And elections are basically the, the mechanism on how we can transfer the power from the people to the government. And there are many, many different stakeholders in this situation, right? There are the politicians who would like to govern, there are the, the people who do this and there are other people and there are election observers and there are many, many stakeholders. There are many different interests in all of this. And when you have a table where many stakeholders come together who have different interests, there's always a conflict. And that conflict needs to have a peaceful solution somehow. And this is what our constitutions of all of the governments around the world have given us in the past. And uh, there's a balance, there's a peaceful solution to this, let's call it civic battle, yes, that has been going on for, for all of humanities. And uh, we, ha we are actually enjoying, you know, the benefits of having such a thing. Now, the, the constitutions have all been laid out in very, you know, in the terms on how we, we used to do it, namely on pen and paper. It kind of uh, does not take complicated technology into account. It doesn't really take into account that, that there might be adversaries who would like to influence your elections, as we have seen it happening in the United States. And so the main question actually comes, and how do you continue to find a peaceful solution to this conflict between those different parties when there are computers around? And uh, that is the, uh, that's the defining that's the defining characteristic, these, these requirements that you've just mentioned, like the, the secrecy of the vote, that is just a, a part, it's a very useful mechanism in order to guarantee that this, this, this conflict has a peaceful solution. Because you don't uh, uh, go after somebody who didn't vote the way how, how you didn't like. So this protects the integrity. Um, there are other things, other requirements, like fair, everyone should have the right to vote. Um, there has to be accessibility. There are many, many. You should not be coerced. Um, many of those kind of things that, are, that have been created just to kind of make um, elections work, that make democracy work, and that guarantees that our countries have peaceful transitions of power from one government to the other. Now, you mentioned electronic banking. Electronic banking is a completely different beast. Well, it doesn't look, it does look exactly the same. If I talk to the man on the street about electronic voting, he or she will say, why can't I just vote from my phone since I can do banking transactions from my phone? And it seems as if the level of, of, of uh, secrecy or security should more or less be the same. It's a tran transaction between me and somebody else that requires some uh, authentication. Yeah. So I need to be able to tell the bank that I'm really who I claim I am and I don't want uh, you, my neighbor, to know how much money I withdrew. Yes. So... so that is uh, indeed a very interesting observation. It's often discussed uh, what are the parallels between us. Now, there is one crucial difference between banking and voting, that in a banking you will get, you have access, despite the fact that there are certain secrecy requirements, you will always have access to the, uh, to the trail, to, the, uh, to all of the transactions that happen with your account. You can check them at any time. 
you can kind of uh, make sure that uh, um, you know your the last the last uh, um, check that you cashed actually made it to your account. If it doesn't, you have a receipt, namely that statement with which you can go to a banker and say, like, listen, something went wrong. Can you please find my 2,575 crowns? I have expected. Now, in voting, this is not possible. Or it, it's one of those, those, uh, those properties that uh, over many years we have kind of uh, grown to enjoy for elections. That is that you can't sell your vote. Because if you have the right later on to be able to inspect that your vote was counted correctly, yes, you have also the freedom to sell it you can kind of make yourself coercible. There might be a market for people who would like to know what is actually on your, on your boat the same way, you know, as somebody wants to know what is on your bank account. So, so let, me, let me try to, to, to unpack that. So, so in banking, there is an established system of receipts where I and the bank, after the transaction, can agree, agree on, yet yeah, this really happened, I actually withdrew right. 2,000 kroners, or I actually put in 2,000 kroners, and there is a list that I and the bank agree on yes. that shows us this. Yes. Um, whereas in voting, this list does not exist and it shouldn't exist because if there was a mechanism, if there was a mechanism for me and the polling station to agree after the fact that I did indeed cast a vote on the Green Party or the Blue Party or the Red Party. So let's see, I, I voted for the Blue Party in my normal election, I go out and the day after I want to check that I did indeed vote for the Blue Party, then this check in itself is a challenge or a danger to the integrity of the election. And the reason is the following, that if I can prove this to myself or the polling station, I can also prove it to an interested third party. Yes. And this third party might be a political party, or it could be my uh, husband, or it could be uh, my father or it could be my wife. In a patriarchal society, it could be the leader of my clan. It could be uh, my uh, job. So I would, I, it's absolutely uh, conceivable that there are jobs where there are certain parties I should not vote for, in particular if there are parties that disagree with the stated values of the organization I'm working in. Let's just take the example of me working in uh, in some kind of organization that takes care of, let's say, refugees, then I should, then it would be natural to expect that every year I demonstrate that I did not vote for the party that goes against the political um, uh, values that underlie my, my, my job. I could be able to, or maybe the, um, maybe the, uh, the union requires me to prove that I voted for the Social Democrats. And so on. So these, as soon as it's on the table, as soon as the possibility to demonstrate to a third party who I voted for is on the table, then there are all, all sorts of uh, attacks on the integrity of the voting system. That's correct, yes. Uh, on the integrity of the result. Uh, on the integrity of the, the result, result of, of the, the vote, election. because we can, because the, so, so the non-provability of my transaction, the absence of a paper trail, the absence of a proof, a paper trail was not good here. The absence of a proof of what actually, the absence of a document of the transaction I just did. Proving ex the way exactly how you voted is, is, is dangerous and has been removed for the last 150 years. Right, so because voting, yes. yes, so voting systems evolve at all, uh, over time and the more modern voting systems there are, the more is this put more, more and more explicitly into various constitutions that it should be, and I think the term is coercion-free. You shouldn't as a voter be coerced 
Yes, so the, in the declaration, the UN Declaration of Human Rights in Article 26, it actually says that every individual has the right to a free and genuine election uh, where the ballot is uh, cast by secret means or in secrecy or by an equivalent uh, voting procedure. So that's basically um, written in the Declaration of, uh, of the UN and, uh, and uh, that supposedly is the, is the guide for, for countries to actually kind of live to and aspire to those kind of... Uh, um, okay, you know, fine. But, but, uh, and this is also exciting from a cultural point of view. Voting systems do differ. I know that in France, for a general election, you can vote by proxy. So you, if, if I was French, I could ask my mom to actually cast my vote for me. Yes. And, and I think 4 or 5% of the votes in France are now already cast by proxy. Many countries allow mail-in votes where you vote where you send, if you're an, if you're an absentee, you can mail, so if you're not present at the, at the election, you can mail in your vote. Again, this moment of you putting the ballot into the postal system, you might, your, your patriarch or your wife or your dad might actually be there. So these are all, um, these are all uh, areas where the electoral system of those countries is a bit weaker than, than it normally is. Yes. And as soon as we make this part of the digital system, then we've destroyed the entire integrity. Yes. So, um, and it's really true. So you have the right to kind of uh, cast your ballot in a free and fair election, but you have to be there on voting day. If you use uh, other techniques, for example, exa advanced voting uh, times where you, where you mail in your ballot um, or you do other things with it, there are automatically, and you know, you are agree basically by doing it, that you live with reduced levels of secrecy and reduced levels of, uh, of, of other things, integrity, because uh, many of these, uh, or, you know, I shouldn't say many, but some of the ballots actually get lost in the mail. Mm -hmm. um, some uh, arrive late mm -hmm. uh, before the counting is late. So there are, there's a different kind of quality to, to, the, to the process. And I think the voters should be aware of this. Uh, so sometimes it's not clear if voters are actually made uh, aware of those level, lowest, lower levels of secrecy and, uh, and integrity. Um, but uh, um, it is uh, also a question on how you um, hold and administer an election where many people are traveling and are very mobile, are outside the country. And, uh, and uh, you'll have to kind of, as a, as a government, as an election commission, you have to, to handle and treat those kind of issues and you have to find good solutions for them. And I think this is also a perf perfect segue because this is why... Um, many of the countries around the world are actually also looking into internet voting as an additional uh, channel of uh, casting votes because why not? Um, this, the secrecy is uh, um, requirements are, are not as high, okay? Um, the, the integrity, yeah, okay, yeah, we hope, but uh, we hope for the best, but um, the, the, the internet voting basically as an alternative voting channel has become very much in fashion since Estonia in 2005 held the first election with that. Um, and uh, there you can see, and you mentioned that also earlier, that uh, the electoral process is constantly evolving, right? It adapts to the times somehow and the legislations and constitutions adapt to the times. And uh, so why not actually kind of looking in, in these modern technologies like mobile technologies, internet voting technologies, uh, ballot markers in polling places, optical scan machines as they're used in the United States. Why not using these kind of things? And that is, uh, that's then the next generation where we are right now. Many governments are, are considering these uh, issues. Denmark has considered this in 2012. It's a law proposal. 
um, which was brought forward into Parliament uh, to kind of allow ballot markers in, in Danish elections. Um, the uh, um, Brits have uh, said that would like to hold internet elections. The Norwegians have held internet elections in 2011 and 2013. Um, all of the 30 percent of the ballots in Estonia are cast with every election over the internet, and uh, um, and many other countries are, are are considering actually introducing this kind of technology. And it's particularly illuminating if you look at the the global map of the world. There are many countries in Africa that are beginning to kind of uh, grow into democracies. Um, these are countries where mobile phone usage, usage is normal. People bank as, you know, on their mobile phones all the time. And uh, the election commissions, of course, say like, you know, why don't we use that kind of platform that we have already of communicating with our people to also collect their votes. And uh, as what we've said before, the same kind of... Uh, challenges apply in these situations and uh, it is the election commission's determination that will actually have to decide what are, what are we going to do as a country in the future. So there are already two different concepts of electronic voting now uh, in our conversation. One is internet voting where one example would be for, that I vote on my phone while I'm standing in line at the, uh, at the coffee shop and the other is voting at the polling station at an electronic machine, such as a computer or a touch screen or something yes. like that. Uh, and these are already different, and both of them are different, again, from a pen and paper-based yes. voting system, which is what we have in Denmark. So we are s s broadcasting here from, from Denmark, which is one of the most uh, technologically advanced societies on Earth. It did, everything is digital in Denmark. We do our taxes uh, at the computer, so, and it takes seconds, so the... the, the the state sends us uh, basically the taxes we have to pay, and if we trust that, we just click OK, and then it's done. Uh, and almost all other uh, communication with the government is done online in Denmark. Uh, but uh, for voting, we use uh, pen and paper, actually um, pencil and paper. That's correct, yes. Um, and these are counted by hand. And on election night. Yeah, it's, uh, they are counted actually in a very um, in a two-phase pro uh, process. Uh, there is the the rough count on election night, where uh, party votes are counted, and a determination is made which party gets uh, how many seats in parliament, and then these kind of uh, negotiations start. So this can be announced uh, on election night. midnight on TV, yes. so we know who won. Yeah. Then all of the ballots are are brought from the uh, individual polling places to counting centers physically in physically large in large sacks by taxi and then they arrive there uh, shortly after midnight and the next morning at eight o'clock uh, employees of the state are going to recount all of those things again for a second time so we call us fine count recount but uh, the, there's a second set of eyes that inspects all of the papers and they sort them basically the party votes into individual votes for, for individual candidates who eventually get a seat in, in parliament. And uh, that's a very, very, that's, that's a fantastic process, how it works. Because and you, you survey this, right? You, you work as an election observer in many countries, including have, I, Denmark. Yes, I have not been an official election observer, but I am attending elections you to observe them from, an, yes. I'm, I'm witnessing elections from I an, uh, from an uh, you know, academic uh, and research point of view. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have not. Uh, I have not made a determination. I've never made a determination or an assessment if okay. an election was free and fair and if it satisfies the requirements. But I've travelled to uh, Egypt uh, to observe and uh, witness their elections, 
um, in 2011. So but you, you do advise governments on, the, on, on these kinds of procedures, right? Yes, I, I do advise governments uh, who approach me on, uh, on, on procedures, on, uh, on feasibility studies, on, uh, um, on you know, the, the advantages and disadvantages of certain technologies, um, you know, all the way to, uh, you know, once a, once a system is procured, um, And, you know, how good is that system? That, does the system actually work according to, uh, to uh, um, expectation? Is it correct in terms of uh, whatever correctness criterion and requirements were stated? Um, so one of the challenges, maybe I should talk about this a little later, are single points of failure. An election system that has a single point of failure is uh, very vulnerable towards attack because uh, if that, that particular unit breaks down, um, the entire election is in jeopardy and it's different from our taxes because we can kind of postpone tax day. You just file for an extension say like, sorry, I couldn't make it. I will make it in two months. But uh, if the election is called on a particular day, whatever you do, the election will take place on that particular day. There is not much uh, moving back and forth and the reason why not has to do again with uh, this uh, civil, civil battle and civil conflict. Yeah? You When you move these things around where everyone has agreed upon, then the different stakeholders in your society might actually kind of get very nervous about those things and you want to kind of avoid it. So when there is an election day set, it is the election day and if it says at eight o'clock the polling places will open, they will open on this day, no matter if you're ready or not as a, an election commission. And that is a extreme risk to take. And, and, you know, many countries have actually fixed uh, date deadlines for when elections take place every four years, like in the U.S. In Denmark, the prime minister can choose to uh, call an election with, uh, you know, several weeks' notice. And they often do, right? I, I think it's been do. a long time ago since Denmark had, uh, had your regular election day. Yes. And can you, you have to just imagine and what happens. It's an entire machine that is being kicked on. And it's an, an election machine um, where the... A figurative machine. A figurative right? election yes. machine where yes. the people are all activated um, to kind of, you have to man polling stations, you have to find election observers, yes. you have to prepare the electoral rolls, you have to prepare the ballot forms, you have to collect the candidates, you cannot make any mistakes, you have to approve everything. It is a very, very long, uh, it's not a long process, but it's a very sophisticated process and uh, the risk of something going wrong, there must be, you know, you don't want to have any single points of failure, you don't... Uh, You don't. You, you want to make sure that there's enough redundancy, and if something does not work well, that you have remedial actions that you still can guarantee the delivery and election on election day. Uh, so, okay. So, so you're describing to me a complicated system that requires many people at the same time to do the right thing. Yes. This scares me as an IT person. I would immediately say, let's automate it. Let's just write the code once and for all that does this right. But you're saying that that's the wrong mindset to be in because the code is certainly not going to do it right. Um, no, 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 this is not what I'm saying. I'm saying it is a, a um, so you will not, you won't have robots in polling places manning them. Um, you know, if you kind of get rid of polling places altogether and you move everything to the internet, yes. you have solved one of those challenges, I think, in the election machine. But you might have bought yourself others, namely that the secrecy of the ballot and the integrity, the accountability of the entire election, the correctness of the election result might be put in, dust, uh, in doubt. It might be that, you know, the price to pay is a, you know, loss of trust in the population in the results of the election. That kind of a balance is something that election commissions around the world have to face. But, but, but help, me, help me think about this. How, why should I trust a system more that consists of many um, 
uh, amateur. So I, I myself work as an election official in Sweden. So I, uh, 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 I count these ballots by hand as well on election nights. Um, why should I just trust a system more that depends on the correct behavior of thousands and thousands of people who do this every four years and just have a few days of training for it, yes. rather than an IT system? And today, I, as a normal user, I'm, I'm quite used to trusting IT systems. I trust them with my bank. I trust them with, the, um, with my own identity, for instance. Yes. Yeah, so th that is a... Um, <laughs> why should you trust a system of many people where nobody really knows what they are doing yes. much better than a um, highly sophisticated, uh, uh, modernly implemented... Uh, written, by, uh, written by you. Written Pre by pretend for a moment yeah. that... Verified, yes. verified system yes. um, that, um, that actually kind of... Hurts. So the, I think there are different um, aspects how you can look at it. One aspect is that uh, um, the... Uh, The, the, the who are the people controlling the election, right? So the more people you are involving into the electoral process by actually running it, the more people, uh, the, the, more, the bigger fraction of the society you actually involve in, construction, in constructing this, this result. Now, what you need, and this is what Denmark and other countries, Germany and around the world have done in many years, is they have uh, um, always two people work, you know, of opposing parties meeting in these these places they count together the social democrats they count together with the green party and together with some other party and uh, they are actually surveying and you know they make their 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 um, they, they, they check each other's results several times we have uh, fantastic pictures actually of uh, you know the ballot forms in denmark tend to be very long and there's one person counting on one side and another person counting on the other side in the end They hope they come up with the same result. Are they always coming up with the same result? Hell no. I think they rarely come up with the same result. But they will find a way to, uh, to kind of, uh, you know, recount. They will find a way to kind of bound the arrow that they are going to make. Now, if you move to, an, let's just call it an internet-based election system, there's one server, okay? So this public control of the election somehow has been replaced by what? Okay, there's no more public in there, so we can hope for a better, more exact result, of course, but we also put the trust of that the election went correctly to the experts who have built the system, who've verified the system, who've configured the system, who run the system, yes, and who made sure that no, uh, no hackers, Russian, Chinese, who know where they come from nowadays, have actually infiltrated the system, mocked with the system prevented the system from working correctly. So it is true that in a laboratory setting, you can build the best counters. You know, they increment the counter by one. It is an extremely small program. It has three lines. I see it in front of my inner eye. It's actually extremely difficult. But the challenge is, how do you make it that it runs not only in a laboratory environment, but it runs in real world environments? in an environment where you cannot secure your infrastructure, in an environment where you have human operators that need to kind of handle cryptographic keys, that have to kind of store these keys someplace. It's, I always say it's, it's relatively easy to build a correct system that runs you know, in laboratories. It is more difficult to make a system that's correct that runs in all environments. And it's even more challenging to build a system that is correct, works 
securely in all environments and is also trusted by the people. Right, right. So. And these, this, the last part is what elections, it's the highest, it's the gold medal standard, the gold standard of technology. I wish that, uh, you know, all of the, like for example, tax systems, you know, there are bugs in these kind of software systems. They should take that all as seriously as one should take an election, right? Because then we can actually kind of actually achieve, you know, really, really high levels of reliability and reliable and accountable, you know, computer systems. Okay, and, and not, 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 not tr I'm trying, I'm, I'm beginning to get somewhere because uh, you say that the first two questions that, uh, that you mentioned in your list, that, that the system is easy enough to write in a, in a laboratory setting, and then as soon as it gets out into the real world, it's open to all kinds of bugs, mistakes, malicious attacks, uh, uh, wrong users, and, and so on. Um, all these aspects still, ex still exist for, for instance, internet banking or the tax code, mm -hmm. yes. but there is another source of trust, namely the receipts. Yes. If I'm unhappy with the taxes that, are, that I'm presented with, I can actually, if, if I wanted, sit down or hire a lawyer who sits down and checks that the system did the right thing. So the very fact that I have a receipt uh, um, that tells me how my taxes were calculated uh, gives me reason to trust that this was correct. Yeah. Normally, I would just shrug and say this is probably correct because if it weren't correct, it would be really easy to detect. So I just trust it. I, I also have to admit I'm, I'm ashamed, but I never check my bank account receipts, right? I just assume that this all works because if it didn't work, it would be very easy to convince somebody else. Yes. On the other hand, there is simply no way for me as a voter to verify after the fact that my vote was correctly counted. Yes. Yes, so I, I like to kind of think about a dispute. So disputes are a thing that actually happens in elections quite a lot. And people don't accept the result of an election. And in many oh, dispute in that sense, not, yeah. not, not as an angry conversation, no, no, but no, 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 somebody no. disputes the this result. Somebody disputes the, the result. This just happened in the U.S. election last year. Yeah, right? that, that, happens, uh, that happens there. Uh, that happens. Yeah, there are... In any elections, there are many, many, many disputes filed of people claiming there was not enough ballot papers in a polling station. Um, people didn't like this, they didn't like that. They thought the observers were too close. Lots of disputes. And uh, for elections, there is actually, in Mexico, there is the courts of electoral dispute. Mm. Yes, there are judges sitting there that their only job is to kind of resolve all of those disputes. And a, a dispute court usually has the, uh, you know, an election result can only then be final if all of the disputes have been resolved. Oh. Right? So this is actually kind of, you know, so that's the final, that's when the final result can come out. Because if there are dis still ongoing disputes, it cannot possibly be a final. I didn't know this, but again, this shouldn't surprise me because there are ways for me to dispute my taxes yes. and there are ways for me to dispute my bank statements. That, that's right. And so that, that's the point. The ability to be able to dispute, that is something that you have with account it's much more difficult when you have a, you know, when you have a feeling like there should be uh, 10,000 crowns on my account, but there are only minus 20,000 on it. You say like, hold on, let me check. And I'm pretty sure you do that too. If uh, there's uh, minus uh, 20,000, I'm uh, getting suspicious, yes. I'm getting suspicious. Yes. There is a way to kind of say like, okay, there's something wrong. Here is a very fraudulent uh, transaction from, uh, um, I don't know, some, some kind of Chinese thing you can't read, right? It's minus 30,000. Yes, yes. You will go to the bank and you will say like, hold on, I have a dispute. I don't believe that this is right. Credit cards, you can dispute charges on your credit cards. That's all, all fine. Yes. But the fact is that uh, disputing uh, things in elections is equally important. Now, you cannot, when you have a feeling that the Social Democrats should have won, yes. but they didn't. Yes. Yes. 
you cannot dispute this. I, I can't dispute it, but there is simply no paper. There's no, there, yeah. there's no evidence. Yeah, but so, so even, even if, for instance, I remembered that I voted for the Social Democrats in my own district yes. and can see that my district came up with zero votes for the Social Democrats, yes. I can't do anything, right? I can't say that I, I really remember that I voted for the Social Democrats. Yes. I can see that my district reported zero votes. Yes. There must be a mistake, yes. but I have no paper trail. And there's, and there's a reason for me not having... That's right. That, because yeah. that was a, 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 a conscious decision on how do you balance secrecy and integrity elections versus uh, the individual's, uh, you know, uh, right to dispute. Good. That mm -hmm. is the result mm -hmm. that way. Now, when we look at, uh, you know, let's take ballot markers uh, in polling stations, controlled environments aside, but when you look at Internet, lots of the cryptographic schemes that have been proposed, they actually propose evidence where you have uh, the public bulletin boards where you can check ciphertexts, and when you see another ciphertext next to it, it should give you a good feeling that your ciphertext was actually counted. And, uh, you know, some, in, some say these are cryptographically receipts. I mean, they don't allow you to prove the way how you voted, but it shows you that whatever you've voted have made it on one of these bulletin boards. C could, we, could we just take a concrete example? I, I like the Norwegian system, right? Yes. I, uh, I thought that was cute. Yes. So, so in Norway, they had this experiment, which ran, I think, twice That's a few right. years ago, and uh, which allowed people to vote at home on their phones or on their computers over the Internet. Yes. And this works in Norway because in Norway, almost everybody, it's, it was already several years ago, a highly technically advanced society. Everybody had a phone. And also authentication is solved in Scandinavia in the sense that every individual of voting age has a way to identify themselves to the state, which is also used for banking and for taxes. Yes. So th and that's often a difficult problem. It's even a difficult problem in a, in a society like the US. Authentication is actually hard, but in Norway, this is solved. That's right. so, so I, as a Norwegian... Let me kind of explain this uh, to you a little bit. So the way how it works is you, um, you were sent a, uh, a voter card, um, you know, an election card, so to speak, in the mail, and usually, in old times, you would take that card, you go to your polling stations, and you exchange that card for a ballot, you fill in and cast, and that's mm -hmm. it. Now, you do this over the internet, okay? So the first thing that you want to know as a voter somehow is that when you kind of press send on your web browser... So, so I, I log in, authenticate you log in, myself. Authenticate, yes. You, you, you take your, 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 as you described, your authentication infrastructure, NEMID, or whatever it is called in... In uh, Easy ID in, in, in Norway, you identify to, your, to the system and uh, you might use your voter card number or, or you have to kind of do something else. Then you will get be presented with a screen where you see different candidates. You can kind of choose the candidate. You vote want to vote for a party. I vote for the fish party or the oil party or whatever they call it in Norway. Yes, and then you kind of uh, hit vote. And what happens then inside the computer system is it will kind of uh, do some cryptographic magic make a uh, message which is then posted onto the server which stands in the election commission and that server collects all of that data. And just, so, just to make sure the system can't show me a screen saying yes, thank you for your vote for the Green Party. No, the, the system will say that because the system knows. This is, this is already, no, no, you can kind of, when, when you uh, look at all of the things that we've discussed, right? The secrecy, okay? So this computer system knows who you are because you've just authenticated yourself. Yes. It knows what your choice is. Yes, and then I yes. trust that it forgets it immediately. And you trust, you have to trust that it forgets it immediately. Yes. Yes. Is that, uh, but you know, you just, uh, 
Let, let's say I do, because I know the guys who actually wrote the systems. I've had beers and, and you know that uh, your, your system is connected to the internet. There has never been any anyone. You'd never have installed malware or oh, other things. Right. So I, I, trust the, I trust the company that wrote the software. I trust my computer. I trust my router. I trust my... Yeah, the router you might uh, not, the, the, because there's a certain it's, point it's encrypted when, when it's encrypted. It's before the encryption happened. It depends on different protocols. The Norwegians encrypt in your, in your client, okay, in the, in the program that runs on your browser. So when you do the encryption there... I, I, I do trust Google then. I, tr I trust the yes. author of the web browser and I trust the author of the electorals, of the yes. voting system. Yes, but, but here, here, before we actually go further <laughs> in the process, it's really fascinating. What can go wrong? Okay? Yes, yes. What can go wrong? So what could go wrong is that uh, the code that actually runs on your thing needs to come from someplace. It's JavaScript, yes? So um, if, uh, when, once you kind of say, like, I would like to go to vote your web browser goes to supposedly the election uh, computer and downloads the JavaScript program that will run and display all of those options. That's what I expect to happen. What you expect to happen. Now, there are attacks against our infrastructure um, that, uh, against routers and using old protocols that uh, were discovered last year. Um, so there's the, the logjam attack, for example, where you can actually, if the the, 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 you know, the, the packages, the, the JavaScript and your request actually hops not only directly to the computer, it hops through other computers, right? Mm -hmm. So um, That's just by how the internet is built, right? The internet is, is just a huge system of small packets of information that are sent through various computers and end up by more or less magic yes. Yes. Uh, at my machine. Yes, sir. That's a, we, we, uh, we vote from this university here. We will go from our system to the, to the main server of the university and then maybe another university server before it hops out to the real world. So that means that this university can kind of control all of the traffic of all of the, the, the network traffic that goes to and from my computer. Now, with that logjam attack, you could actually exploit a vulnerability in the uh, cryptographically secured uh, layer, transport layer of the internet to kind of fake information. So that the poor Norwegian who thinks that he uses... That, the, that he has actually downloaded the code from the election authority. Which he may have trusted. Which he because have trusted. he asked you, who, yes. did a, who did a audit and looked at the software and said, this software does what it claims it does. Yes. But it's not the software that actually ends up at the Norwegian's house. Yes. He might have actually downloaded it from what's this, uh, some, some hacker. Yes. Guccifer 2.0. Yes. He has control over that note. And you will never, ever know what happened to your vote, no matter how much trust you will have. But this is okay. Let's just say Guccifer, or whoever it is, does not, does not uh, uh, control all of the computers on the internet. But the point is, it has a detrimental effect on the trust of the population. Because as, uh, right, as soon as you just begin talking about how this can be attacked, there are just a gazillion modes, points of attack where the system could be That's no right. longer secret or actually the vote could be changed. Yes. And, and as, but, you know, most importantly, I think that the voter themselves might be disillusioned with the process. They might not go to vote anymore. You know, the, the voter participation might drop. Um, oh, but the whole point of internet voting was to get voter participation up. See, that's the point. And these are, these are yet another risk that you will have to understand all of the moving parts in order to come up with the right determination. So the only people left to actually vote uh, with confidence that this works are people who are super-duper experts, who've read the code, 
Uh, but you don't control the, the nodes on the internet. You don't and install their own router. And okay, so you okay, you need to know a lot about computers in order to trust this. But as soon as you know a lot about computers and security, you will certainly no longer trust this because then it's just full of attacks. Yeah, then you you get very very concerned. Yes. Then you get very concerned and don't want to vote. Yeah. So this is a this is there's a da I'm not saying that it happens because uh, there's a danger. So one might think that in Estonia that uh, every year more and more people vote over the internet. So at the moment it's about uh, above 30 percent of all of the vote was cast in the last election over the internet. I was actually there at the decryption ceremony in uh, in Tallinn in the parliament. When the, the decryption ceremony. Yes. That sounds great. Yeah, where the where the internet <laughs> votes were formally opened. Now, how do you make somebody believe that the uh, uh, that the internet votes when you decrypt this entire file with the election key and some result comes out that this is the right result? That's what you have to do. That's the challenge if you use uh, internet voting. So you need some kind of ritual where 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 you, where input is just a bunch of numbers and then they are decrypted and the output is votes for parties. Yeah. So this is a yeah that. that that's what, what some are doing. They have these kind of rituals, yes? So there was a Norwegian had a ritual. I also attended the decryption ceremony of the internet votes in, in Norway when I went to Oslo. It sounds like a secret society. Like, it sounds like a cult of people that attend each other's decryption. Do you have robes? Uh, no, there are no robes. Uh, but uh, there's free food. No. <laughs> <laughs> Good, like any other conference. Yes, yes. Like any other conference. No, but uh, in this, this decryption ceremony, you, um, the, 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 the challenge is, what is the challenge really? So the challenge is that you, you, you kind of come up with something which we call verifiability. Individuals can vary, you know, okay, maybe we should kind of back up a little bit to the Norwegians. Let's go there. Yes. So after you have, uh, you have cast your, your ballot, you want to kind of make sure as a voter that everything went well because you just press vote. And then, you know, it says, thank you very much for voting. But you actually don't know. You have no evidence. But you don't know anything. This, this would correspond to me um, uh, putting uh, money into my bank account and then the internet system just saying, thank you for making your... Um, deposit. Thank you for making your deposit. Yep, yes. deposit. Done. You, yes. get no, you get no balance back. It just says, I accepted your money. Bye. Yes. Mm. Or an, another image is there sits somebody behind a curtain and you give him the money and says, like, could you please deposit it for me in the bank account? And that person says, like, of course I can Thank oh, you very right, much right. for or, your or, or, or at a polling station, I walk up to the person at the polling station uh, who sits with no pen and paper, and I just said, hello, I would like to vote for the Green Party. Yes. And then the person at the polling station just nods and says, thank you for your vote. Yes. And then you go out again. Yes. And you have to trust that the person at the polling station remembers that it, it increased his or her own internal counter for the Green Party with one vote. Yes, correct. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes. good. So, 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 so we so want feedback. Yeah, we want feedback. And so what the Norwegians came up with is that... Uh, so you, you said already that everyone has a mobile phone in, in, in Norway. It's very digitally advanced. And uh, these uh, uh, mobile phones are actually registered with your identity. Okay, so uh, the, 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 of the office can actually, uh, whatever, the, the election office has access to all of the mobile phones. So what the, the system that they're actually doing is that once you kind of cast your vote, a cryptographic thing moves through the internet, arrives at the election computer. The election computer does some um, cryptographic wizardry out of it, and it generates a four-digit code. But the wizardry is actually something you understand, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not, it's yeah. not wizardry. It's uh, it, uh, from, from an, from you have to be a cryptographer to understand yeah. precisely how yeah. this all works and that it works correctly and that it's secure. But again, this part is 
is is public, right? You and I have attended yes, conferences can, where where where, where this can. was explained to us. Yes, we can. We definitely can understand yes. that. Yes. But there's something about the security of it where you have to make certain assumptions. Now, you and I, we might have different assumptions. Good. But for Joe Public, or in this case, the Norwegian Joe, which is a Bjorn, Bjorn Public, he, 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 he uh, casts his vote, the vote encrypted goes through various servers. Yes. And then it comes back yes. to the mobile phone. Yes. So, so there's something which comes back to the mobile phone, and it's a four-digit number. And that four-digit number was actually already printed on the voter card that you have received. So that means if you vote for the Social Democrats, you are expecting to get back number 2775, okay? And so once you kind of press send, there is a different channel, yes? And that is against, uh, you know, trying to avoid single points of failure. On your mobile phone, which you probably have lying next to you, it says beep, and there's a number, and you will kind of compare the number to your card. On so, the, and, and the numbers are different, right? So Alice... It must be the same. No, it's a, it's a, if the numbers are different for each one of the candidates, the numbers are different for each individual voters because our identities are computed into exactly, the generation. Right? So when Alice votes for the Social Democrats, she gets back 2755 and can check that on her individual uh, voting card and says 2755, vote for the Social Democrat. Yes. And when Bob votes for the De Social Democrats, he gets back another number, 3135, yes. looks at his personal voting card and sees 3535R. My vote was correctly received as and counted as a vote for the Social Democrats. Yes. As, uh, it was recorded. It was recorded as cast, so to speak. Yes. And the idea is also that the adversary, when you have four digits, you have like one over ten thousand probability of actually guessing the right return code. Because yes. how are you going to fake that one? Now, my question to you is: How many do you think called in at the dispute headline uh, hotline and said, like, hold on, my number didn't match? So unfortunately, I know the story because it was one. It was one street or something. No, no, it was uh, it was seventy people called in. Seventy people. Yes, and it was uh, it was not it was a streak, not a street, a streak. It was like um, now you know different from uh, standard uh, polling cards, and that shows you already the challenges for the administrative processes. It used to be that you get the card in the mail which has your address in it, you kind of exchange it for a ballot form, and that's it. But now suddenly, because it has these numbers, they are personal. They're like PIN numbers. Yes. And you need to protect them. So you need to put these cards in envelopes. And so putting a card in an envelope is a challenge because the envelope will have an address on it and they put stickers, I think, on the envelopes. Now what they actually, what happened, they have a big machine that puts these cards in an envelope. And it's a machine that has 99.999% uh, availability and does everything right except in that one time. Well, we all know photocopiers, so they work almost everywhere uh, at all times, but th sometimes they mess up. Yes, and one card fell out. So that means that everyone's card in the envelopes was offset by one. Yes. And actually, the surprising thing is that only 70 people called in ah. because it was an entire streak of a thousand or even more. Uh, could have happened, of course, oh. at the very end of that thing. Or if it happens at the beginning, yeah, I think the mm -hmm. Norwegians actually know which card was the uh, faulty one. Mm -hmm. um, but it is very clear. So, so, so for, a, for a mechanical reason, for a, for a boring mechanical reason that has to do with, with an, um, the machine that puts letters into envelopes, the cryptographically very, very advanced verification system broke down. Correct. And it didn't break down. It worked perfect. No, it, oh, it, it worked perfectly. perfectly yes. Yeah, yes. It just worked not <laughs> as expected because these checks are made to always say yes. And we have these 17 Norwegians that voted for the Green Party yes. and got back a pin code telling them that you just yeah. voted for the Blue Social Party yeah. or the, or the yeah. Social Democrats. Or the Yellow Card Party. Or yeah. the Yellow yeah. Card Party. Yeah. Yes. Ah, and, and now I'm getting... 
But, but, but now Alice has a proof that she voted for the Green Party, which she can show to her mom. Uh, so now you have... A so now we're back at square one, right? Now we've implemented a system where everybody can sell their votes or everybody can coerce somebody else into voting. Yes. Honey, we've voted Social Democrat all, all our lives and our, our parents died for this. Of yes. course, we will together vote Social Democrat yes. tonight. So, yes, you, you are absolutely right. And uh, the Norwegians are very much aware of this. And uh, when you kind of introduce technology into the process, you have to assess the risks. And they have determined the risks of family voting, vote coercion, vote selling in Norway. And they have estimated that there is no market for it because uh, when you want to sell something, you have to have a market for it. So the arguments I've heard is there is no market for vote selling in, in Norway. And therefore, this is not a problem. And therefore, we judge this to be an acceptable risk for an election. And, uh, you know, is it acceptable or not? There is no 100%. Uh, there is no true answer. There is no false answer. It is a determination of the people who are in charge and who have the mandate to decide these things. And sometimes people do wrong decisions. Sometimes people do right decisions. Um, but uh, um, the, um, it's, it's extremely difficult. There is no perfect solution. It is all a, a balance of compromises. But, you know, one should not say now Internet voting is bad just because um, our paper elections are good. Paper elections have also risks. The risks that the advanced voting that come by the mail are not in time, um, the risk that the polling place didn't open, the risk that they didn't count correctly, the risk that the, um, the taxi that kind of drove all of these uh, things, uh, you know, caught on fire. Uh, there are other risks, and the, uh, the commissions need to kind of balance the risk. What's the risk? That is an extremely difficult task. Yeah. Risking, um, is my, my system vulnerable against cyber attacks um, that can change the outcome of the elections versus what's the risk of a, a hurricane hitting the polling station and everything flies away? That is, is one of the, the, the challenges where well, well, this is actually an exciting area, election yes. technologies, and that's something which doesn't have an obvious solution. It's not like you know, uh, sorting an array, at the end it's sorted, we have understood it, we can move on to the next topic. Now here... Oh, we still write papers about sorting, yeah, so, so never mind, this, no, is, this is a perennial topic for us. Um, so, and, and, but as soon as we do it digitally, we get the same problems or challenges that we always have when it's digital, namely that is, suddenly errors can uh, grow enormous, you have much more, uh, you have many more opportunities for large-scale attacks, rather than just the taxi not sent not driving the right sack of papers or yes. or a single uh, a single polling station not opening yes. with as soon as it becomes digital uh, errors can be much much larger and they can be completely undetectable yes. because the polling station not opening actually everybody at the polling station station yes. knew this and it's going to be reported yes. but but for voting by virtue of the constraints on voting many of the errors will never be reported yes. Yes. because we don't want we don't want to find out who voted what. Yeah. That was the whole point of voting, was to not know who voted what. So, so trust in voting is entirely generated by everybody understanding and to a large part uh, participating in yes. the process. That's right. So, so Joe Public understands every single part of the pen and paper-based voting. Yes. He or she can observe uh, the counting. Yes. And that's why we trust it. Yes. And that's why we do, should not a priori trust internet voting systems. Yes. So the uh, um, that's that that's 
Okay, so internet voting systems, I mean, we have to be slightly more careful here. So internet voting systems can be designed with uh, this, this idea of verifiability in mind. And so we have seen in the Norwegians, you have uh, the cast as, uh, recorded as cast uh, verifiability, which is also called individual verifiability. Mm -hmm. So everyone can verify a little bit about the process. Mm -hmm. Not entirely clear what it means for the person then when it fails. But what is even worse, it does not entirely, it's not clear what it means for the election result. Because what you really want to kind of make sure at the end is that everyone kind of participates in verifying the election result. And uh, this kind of uh, um, idea is called universal verifiability, where everyone can check everything. Yes, and, and there I, are I, internet. I sometimes, I, I sometimes attend conferences and see talks where somebody demonstrates one of these systems or tries to explain this to me, and then I, I, I sort of begin to become enchanted by them because it, it seems the right thing to do, right? Yeah. I, and, and, and it's technically advanced, and there's nice crypto in it, and there's a bit of logic, and it appeals sort of to my technological mindset. And I see these solutions and say, oh, wow, this is a perfect system that has many aspects that are even better than the paper-based voting system because I, from home, can check that my vote was correctly cast and counted and even that everybody else's vote was counted. Yes. So what's wrong with this? No, it, it, uh, because you said like um, internet voting systems are s inferior to the old way of doing it because people can't verify it. And I'm, my point is just that modern, you know, the, the research that we are undertaking is actually on making sure that the process produces enough evidence that everyone can at the end verify that the, the result is correct, which kind of would be, you know, involving more and more people into the pro uh, into the process, and that is the um, that's the way how internet voting goes nowadays. It's towards uh, universally verifiable systems where every step, you know, if you sort, if you mix, which basically mixing means uh, you're trying to kind of uh, cut the link between a person's vote and it's the person's identity. Um, all of those kind of steps are very very complicated, but they all will spit out um, cryptographic proofs that you can actually use later on to present to a judge who can kind of call some experts and say, are these actually trustworthy proofs? Are these proofs correct? Is that claim that that person had who claimed that the uh, main server was attacked, is that, uh, can you make a determination if that is a correct claim or not? And the judge will, with the help of cryptographic experts, look at the cryptographic evidence and evaluate it and come to a determination that this was indeed a trustworthy election result. Yeah. So I find these things very sexy because they appeal to my own uh, uh, mindset, right? There's lots of math in it. But so is it, would it be fair to say that we are close to now to have uh, technology and ideas and algorithms and methods to at least in principle allow verification of elections for a very tiny fraction of the population, namely people like you and me? So I, th I think, you know, we, we definitely can follow the mass. But when you do security, and, you know, that comes back to my, my earlier point that when you have a system that works, but you run it in some kind of uncontrolled environment, mm -hmm. the assumptions about which kind of attacks are possible and which, which kinds of attacks are not possible which, you know, when you kind of make a security argument and say, like, you know, this is impossible to happen because we have a person with a machine gun at the entrance. Um, those kind of assumptions, your intuition about what is secure and my intuition actually probably slightly differs. So, so uh, there is, um, that's the, the point, and there's no 100% secure system. Mm -hmm. So it is a question at the end about security assumptions. 
Um, so uh, do you believe the, the security proofs about the correctness and the verifiability of this giving those kind of assumptions? Mm -hmm. If you disagree with the assumptions, mm -hmm. then you will not going to uh, uh, agree with the result of it. And so although we are experts in this and we can kind of follow the mass, there is no, uh, there's no um, magic, there's no belief, there's no trust. Everything is, uh, is, uh, is mathematically correct, verifiable and you know, reproducible. Uh, it's just a lot of work for, for us. For me, yes. right? So I'm not sure how good your Elgamal crypto system... Uh, I, I, I'm sure I could read... Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure I could spend half a year reading up on the theory, and then I could actually uh, verify this. Yes. So, but, but, but even so, even, so even in the most optimistic... Uh, um, even in the most optimistic um, scenario, we might arrive at, an, at a digital voting system that is verifiable for the select few, whereas what we have today with a pen and paper based system it's verifiable for everybody yes so we are we are we, we are trying to make a, a system that works and is trusted by everybody understood by everybody more complicated and then remove the power of checking the integrity of the system to a small elite yes so this that can't be right that uh, sounds uh, sounds uh, sounds strange yes, yes. Um, so so why do we want to do this why do we want why, why is there so much Pressure. I mean, the, the angriest debates I've had with politicians were exactly about this. Where I, I'm, uh, I am, uh, I, I tell people that no, we should not uh, digitize this. This is a yet another aspect of society that will not benefit from becoming more digital. And the politician would be against that. The politician would actually want this to be digital. Yes. So. <laughs> Um, this uh, this has been observed uh, around the world. Ah, it's a natural, uh, naturally occurring natural phenomenon. phenomenon. But it's also very understandable um, that we have undergone a, um, a revolution in terms of uh, the uh, availability of uh, mobile phones mm -hmm. and technology. So the question of why not using this is uh, is a really kind of it's an it's it's a good question to ask. And you know my experience is that no matter with whom you interact and whom you convince about the arguments, the next generation of uh, people moving into uh, decision-making positions come with the same kind of background and believing that you know, technology is solving all of the issues. So it's a, it's a question of time. I think we're in a transitional time and in, in a phase of transition. We've seen in the US election that there's been a lot of uh, accusation of hacking. We have seen that actually hackers really uh, entered uh, and uh, you know, start uh, mingling with, uh, with voter registration computers. Yeah, let, me, let me cut in there. So that's new, right? So two years ago, when I had this conversation with somebody and explained to them that, that, that writing, an elect writing a voting system is not a question about doing something that works in the laboratory environment. You actually have to, to design a system that works and is trusted, even though uh, you don't trust the people implementing the system. Yes. Right, uh, and and and, and a, a an internet system or, or a, a, any a computer system, there are many many players involved here. Each of which, at a single point, has has the ability to influence or um, uh, um, make public the results of, of 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 the vote, and that includes malicious agents such as your own government in the worst case or other governments. So just two years ago, people would just stare at me and say, but, but, but then we are screwed anyway, right? If we can't even trust the system a priori, then of course we can't have elections. And I think that's wrong, right? Because election systems, historically, the ones that, that work, pen and paper-based systems, have been designed in a constant understanding of uh, malicious actors trying to influence the election by changing the result or making, making public 
Or making mistakes. The, the, yes, or, or making, or yeah, yeah. Sometimes you you, you, don't, you don't need to attribute to malice what you can attribute to to pure stupidity. Yes. Um, this has changed right now, right? Because since November, just since 2016, everybody seems to worry about elections being influenced. Yes. And and the the reason is, and I think we haven't actually talked about this yet, is that the election is not just the day of when you cast the vote. The election starts with your voter databases, uh, kind of uh, finding who's eligible to vote. Um, it has to do with the candidate uh, lists. It has to do with the ballot forms, the configurations of the system. But it also goes afterwards. It's about uh, social choice functions. It is like, how do we take the results and turn it into the result of an election? Uh, which actually kind of connects to the very first point you made when you said, like, elections are just counters. But it's, it's not true. Because these, these, these methods that we have that uh, give us uh, uh, Condorcet winners, um, that kind of uh, give us the monotonicity properties. Uh, right. Elections are only easy if there are exactly two choices, right? right. As soon really as there are more than one cho two choices, it's already hard to see who yes. actually won. And if you look at preferential voting, it's much, much more complicated. Yes. Transferable votes, uh, priority lists, uh, unvoting. In Norway, you can, you can, I think, cross people off other parties' lists. Yes, you yes. can. And you can kind of uh, accumulate more votes to one person. Yes. Nice. Um, which, by the way, is not res respected in these uh, result codes that we've oh. just talked about. Uh, it's, just an, it's just the main party vote. It's wonderfully complicated. This entire area has everything, right? Yes, it has everything. Yeah. And once you know solutions, they are applicable to other areas of, of our world as well. But the point is that computers are used everywhere. Okay? And no matter where you attack the computer, right, you can change the outcome of an election. So the best probably is to hack the election computer that actually takes the results and, you know, comes uh, to the, 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 the polls results and kind of translate it into a, uh, the final results distribution of the seats. Now, because that is actually the ultimate, uh, that's the ultimate mm -hmm. thing where, you, you know, you don't have to look at individual ballots. You just say 17, now it's 35, right? It's a, it's a huge difference. <laughs> but uh, the, the reason why these things are more secure is because all of the results usually are public that polling places come up with. And so everyone, you and I, we can actually reproduce those kind of results because privacy is, and secrecy of the vote is out of the picture. It's just about integrity. You implement it, I implement it, we get two different results. Mm -hmm. We go to a judge, he says, mm -hmm. like, get some experts in there, store a better yes, programmer yes, than Karsten or yes. other way around, and then, and, then, and then we will see. So, uh, so the, 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 the point is that... Uh, the entire process is under attack. If, uh, if, uh, if, if these are, you know, for example, the US election is considered a high valuable target, um, the uh, um, cyber attacks can happen in sneaky ways. Election commissions, you know, they are underfunded. Most of them, they don't have the expertise to secure their stuff. They have to rely on others. Um, the, there is no real uh, penalty for launching a cyber attack against the a computer, you just sit on your oars and you hide yourself. Exactly. You know, how do you find out how, how, who did it? You can't, it's difficult to find out who did it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's difficult to assign blame. It's difficult to penalize. Mm -hmm. So uh, we will see much more of this. And I think this is actually one of the lessons learned from the U.S. election, is that uh, um, the threats are not hypothetical. You can't just say, like, oh, the likelihood that... Uh, Another nation state tries to start mingling with our election is uh, 0 0.05 percent. And I don't, I don't even have to go 100 percent. It's yes, exactly. Why, why would they not try to mingle with yes. the election if it's if it's for free, if it can't be detected, yeah. and if the if the outcome is is enormous? I mean, the potential payoff of being able to 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 affect an election is enormous. Yes. But I don't even need Russia, right? I could just say that 
Wall Street was very invested in this, right? I mean, this was a U.S. election where, where I guess, uh, all of academia, the media, Wall Street, and the establishment of both political parties sort of were strongly against one of the candidates, yet still the system actually elected that candidate. So, so that's good, right? But it's it's a it's a it's a perfect storm. It's a it's a situation where yeah. I mean, I think there, there there's also a political dimension to the the result of the U.S. election, and uh, the 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 eventual outcome cannot just be attributed to hacking of no. of Russians. So this is like uh, no. this is, there, there are two different ways. But the the the, the 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 what we really observed is, and we are uh, there's evidence for it. There are proof of it that. Uh, Foreign countries have intruded voter registration computers in Illinois and in Arizona, mm -hmm. and they had tried to do damage to the databases. We have uh, seen in the Ukrainian election, where three days before the elections, hackers have wiped all of the election computers that were actually oh. in the field. So the Ukrainian election commission had to recover from such a cyber attack three days before the election. These things are real and they are here and I think it is uh, our responsibility as a university to educate decision makers about the risks and, uh, and uh, yeah, the risks to the process and the risks to the trust of the, of the people, uh, the citizens of a country who need to kind of believe and trust the, the result of the election. And uh, you, you might have heard about all of this discussion in the US about recounting, right? Many of the uh, uh, U.S. states have, uh, they used to kind of have just election computers where there's no paper trail, okay? There's no evidence of uh, anything. The computer spits out some number. You right, so, so the, yeah, the, the, it's a huge country, right? But the, so the voter goes up to a, a machine behind a screen, clicks some buttons or pulls a lever or whatever it is, yes. and then just leaves. Yes, and then leaves and has, there's no receipt that is ever produced except the electronic of representation of your vote yes. in memory. But we understand now why there is no receipt, but we don't want there to be a receipt. Yes, uh, yeah, mm. yeah. So, the, so the many countries, many states in the US actually have switched to, uh, to machines that actually you know, produce those kind of receipts. And one but not for the voter, right? The voter, does not the, the voter the doesn't have it. Oh. No, no, it's just a ballot box. It's a yeah. paper ballot box that, that can be recounted. But it is important and mandatory that the, the voter actually has looked at the paper that goes into the ballot box to kind of, that's the way how the intent of the voter basically mm -hmm. is recorded. Mm -hmm. If it prints something else, you know, mm -hmm. who knows what, what happens. But the one, one way of actually kind of uh, attesting, instead of verifying the technology, one should actually verify the election result itself. And, uh, you know, independent of how you came up with it. And uh, statistical methods, like uh, risk-limiting audits, where you actually draw a random sample of the elections to kind of gain confidence, um, is a very, very good way to, uh, to actually do it. Um, so what happens in such a risk-limiting audit is the election result is published and you look at all of the paper evidence and you kind of compute the margins and say like, how many votes do I have to change in order to change the outcome of the election? And then you kind of say like, you know, okay, so do I have any evidence that so many votes were changed? And you go down to the, elect the to original paper evidence, right? And you kind of draw a random sample of the appropriate size. Right. And this is an so issue only in the US because they're not already doing this. Because in, say, Denmark and Sweden, we do this extra counting, right? We do the extra counting step. For all the votes. Yes, for all the votes, but it's actually to determine the result right. of the election. Right. Many, countries, okay. many countries are not doing it. But I think, you know, even... Um, if you want to kind of uh, look at improvement of processes uh, in elections, right? 
Sometimes, you know, you don't have to recount everything for the seventh time just because there's a margin of error. No, you could actually kind of start trusting in those, you know, in those, those theories. So that is another area of actually tr uh, trying to provide evidence for the correctness of the result that is meant to create trust among the, the voters. And uh, that is just different, different from cryptographic evidence. It's statistical evidence, right? And, uh, and so some, uh, some states in the U.S. actually starting to do this in Colorado, for example. They are, they are doing a lot of these, uh, these mm -hmm. audits. And the very nice thing is that the, 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 the sample that you have to draw in elections that are not very close, it's actually small. So you can, uh, we have done experiments here in Denmark with it. We had to kind of uh, draw like 200 uh, votes uh, nationwide to verify to be 99.9% .9 sure that the last referendum about the uh, EU uh, in opt-out, the, um, the, the, the justice, but I've forgotten what exactly the formulation was, the, the, um, that was actually 362 votes checking them. You could be 99.9% .9 sure that the result is correct. And it's a very simple method and you can kind of involve many people. But again, here you will have to trust the mathematics, you will have to trust the statistics and you have to understand um, you know, the same way how we kind of need to understand and follow the, the cryptographic protocols, the arguments of cryptography, the mathematics of cryptography, we'll have to understand the mathematics of statistics in this. In this yes. Which not everybody does. Which not everyone does, but I'm pretty sure to, uh, after well, uh, two yeah. months you can be there. <laughs> yes. Okay, I think this covered almost everything I wanted to talk about. So we have this, this uh, phenomenon that there is a process that has been with us for maybe a few hundred years if you, love, if you live in the right country. And of course this process has to react to changes in culture and technology. Just the fact that people move around a bit more than they did before is, is, an, is a technological change. Availability of, of, of information technology is another technological change. So we have to rethink many of these ideas. But um, I, I think at least we covered most of the aspects of why uh, why jumping with both legs onto the IT bandwagon is not a good idea, right? Yeah. So yeah. That can't be the right answer. So with both legs, I mean, it, it has its advantages. Nobody wants to kind of uh, do voter eligibility, voter registrations by hand. Uh, you kind of get your data from databases. There are places in elections where technology is absolutely necessary and kind of improves and it's defendable. And there are others where one has to be slightly more careful, but it's a, it's an under, it's a, it's a, the, the, it's about understanding the risks with the technology, and then, you know, once these assessment of the risks are deemed acceptable, it might be um, that we we see further changes in the way how we cast our votes. In but right elections. now, the, the central part of voting, casting the ballot, or maybe I shouldn't even say they central part, the most visible part of the electoral process, the electoral casting, casting the ballot for the individual voter. Yes. Right now, we don't have anything that is, so, that is even close in trustworthiness to actually putting a piece of paper into a box. Um, I think the, uh, the answer to this depends very much on the cultural, national, oh. you know, I think an election in Kenya in Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan is different from an election that, That's in a beautiful and very important point, right? Because democracy is also uh, changing and more and more countries are moving to it. Yes. But if you have a system in place where you have a, a generation-long uh, 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 um, tradition for voting in a certain way and it works, yes. uh, there's not much reason to fix it. Yeah. Okay. 
Carsten, thank you very much for coming. Thank you very much and for having me. Thanks to everybody else for tuning in and listening. Bye. Bye-bye.